The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Great to have you along tonight. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. And we have a good show lined up for you. We've, I, I've noticed this, and this is completely unintentional. It just happens to be the way current events are driving some of the things that we're talking about. And one of the things we wanted to chat about is how uh, the global warming or climate change discussion is impacted by the coronavirus discussion. Because there is a convergence here. And so we, we have a guest tonight that's going to do that and talk about climate change facts as well. Uh, I don't mean to get too political on the program. It just seems like a lot of these topics have a political edge to them. So I'll ask that if politics bothers you a little bit, that you be patient. Uh, but these are interesting things to talk about, whether you agree, disagree. It doesn't really matter. It's all about uh, having a good, honest, solid discussion. Uh, and uh, that's what we're going to do here tonight with Gregory Whitestone. He's a geologist. He uh, has written a book that's called Inconvenient Facts. Also, YouTube is a great place for you to join us. We live stream there. We also have a chat room that is live during the live broadcasts. And it's just J.V. Johnson on YouTube as well. And, of course, the podcast is Beyond Reality Paranormal. And you can find the podcast on any major podcast distribution platform. Um, sorry, just being distracted a little bit by chat. Anyway, thank you to being for being in the chat room. If you've joined us there, there's a bunch of people there already, and I'm, I'm very happy and pleased to see you all. Uh, looking forward to a great discussion tonight. It's Beyond Reality, and we'll be right back. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Gregory Whitestone is a geologist. He's author of a book called Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore does, doesn't want you to know. His website is inconvenientfacts.xyz. Greg, welcome to Beyond Reality. Great to have you with us tonight. No, good to be on with you, too. It's, uh, uh, I, I talk a lot about climate change, and there's always something new every week that's crazy and uh, bizarre this week lacks uh does, does not lack in that at all well we like crazy we like bizarre and we like to talk about issues particularly if they have a little bit of controversy associated with them which this one certainly does but before we get into that are you i don't know where you are in the country maybe pittsburgh i'm not sure but um are pittsburgh. you are, are you in a hot zone with this virus stuff or are you uh, relatively okay it's 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 warm it's uh, <laughs> in terms of the COVID, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I did attend uh, our rally yesterday uh, in Pittsburgh that was held here protesting our leftist governor's uh, totalitarian uh, overreach uh, for government regulations on the COVID-19 shutdown. And, um, you know, my, my sign on the side of my truck said, uh, I'd rather live on my feet than, or rather die on my feet than, than live on my knees. And uh, my wife and I, there was it was thousands of protesters downtown uh, uh, of Pittsburgh uh, rallying 
to, to open up our state, and yeah. it's going on across the United States. You know, this is an interesting discussion to me. We had somebody on a couple nights ago talking about this specifically. I mean, I think most Americans are a bit torn on how to feel about this. You know, on one hand, they certainly don't want to be forfeiting their uh, constitutionally guaranteed rights, which they are. Um, But secondly, they feel that there's an obligation to respect authority uh, in a particularly uh, dangerous, as they see it, time. How do how do we reconcile these two thoughts, these two ideas? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, you want to respect people, but I think it could be done better by protecting those that are vulnerable, uh, rather than and and protect them, restrict their well, maybe keep them safe, but not protect and and infringe on the freedoms of people that really. Uh, or have have extremely low uh, chances of 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 mortality and we're going to learn a lot in the, in the coming months about what the true mortality rate is and if that more and if that true mortality rate is is on the order of it's looking like it's it's decreasing every time they release the the, the numbers uh i i i'm not trying to Play it down. I've written yeah. a lot of commentaries yeah. recently, and I've I think I've posted five or six commentaries over the last uh, thirty days on my on my website, which is inconvenientfacts.xyz. So your your listeners could go and look at what I've written about, and a lot of what I, I look at it from a scientist and, and as a geologist in my book, I write and I've written in, in my book uh, concerning uh, mortality and heat and mortality and climate and there's a really really strong relationship between uh... mortality and climate and that uh, we're, it's just opposite of what we're being told by the media and the media tells us oh my god oh my god oh my god we can't allow it to get uh, a degree or a degree and a half warmer we're all going to die there's going to be famine and and heat related deaths but in reality, what we find, the science, the facts, and the data, and I say that a lot, show us that uh, cold-related deaths outnumber heat-related deaths by, by an order of 15 to 20 to 1. The largest study uh, ever done on temperature-related mortality was done by a uh, team led by uh, Dr. Antonio Gasparini, they looked at 74 million temperature-related deaths around the Earth, and they found in this study that 20 times as many people die due to cold-related deaths as due to heat-related deaths. Another study looking at the U.K. and, and Australia, uh, that it was 15 times as many people died due to cold as due to heat. So, And that's, that has a lot to do. Uh, some of the early studies that came out about COVID and coronavirus uh, dating back 30, 45 days. Uh, the first one I looked at uh, looked at the they looked at coronaviruses and found that the the other coronaviruses they haven't looked at this one yet. We don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, the other coronaviruses were strongly seasonal the seasonality of the coronavirus. In other words, 
they raged from November to April, and then as we got into the late spring and summer months, they went away. And my my commentary on that was was about the uh, possible light at the end of the the warming light at the end of the tunnel for coronavirus, and the most likely scenario is that this coronavirus, COVID nineteen, will will we'll go ahead and, and explore. It'll be the same uh, as what the other coronaviruses are. That's the most likely scenario. It would be extremely unlikely if this thing has a completely different non-seasonal component to it. And so wouldn't that be great to find out that here as we go into May that it just kind of goes away? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but that would be that would be good. Of course, that sets us up for uh, possibility of coming back in the fall. Uh, one thing we can look at, for for example, Australia and the Southern Hemisphere is now going into their uh, autumn, their their fall months, and uh, we're not seeing an, an onset of uh, additional coronavirus. Uh, Australia, uh, yes, they did get an outbreak in Australia during their summer. But it was at the end of their summer when people re- were returning from traveling around the world and returning to Australia. Uh, so, so that would be it's one of the things I, I look at. Um, and again, in my book, I, I've, I've uh, a chapter there was called "Heat and Life, Cold and Death." Um, and I've uh, one of my commentaries recently was was related to that. So yes, there's this. Strong link between between temperature and mortality, and it's just again the opposite uh, of what we're being told. Yeah, we're going to explore that idea in a little more detail as our discussion goes on. But sticking with this coronavirus discussion, you know, we often are told that uh, sunlight, fresh air, um, warmth, summer months will kill off this type of infectious disease. You know, we see that with flu season, although sadly flu keeps coming back year after year. However, what we're being told by our authorities right now is not to go outside, not to get fresh air, yeah. you know, stay inside. Um, it seems as though it's almost counterproductive advice. Yeah. And it's, again, I, I wrote another commentary very similar to this. And there was a study concerning that, and it was dealing, this was written a decade or more ago, uh, concerning the benefits and, and why we see a lot of these things go away. And a lot of it has to do with vitamin D. And vitamin D, you get, you can take pills, but, but most people get their vitamin D from sunlight. And we, we stay indoors through the winter months, and it's when you go out. This, this study correlated and had a strong linkage between sunlight, not, not so much fresh air, but getting out. And it only takes uh, somewhere 10, 15 minutes of sunlight to get the minimum number, minimum amounts of, of vitamin D that you accrue by sunlight on your skin. And, uh, and this study correlated that with, with uh, the prevalence of the getting rid of the cold, uh, viruses and flu and things like that. Uh, so that that has a lot to do with it. So uh, my advice is go get go get some sunlight. And in fact, it was it was crazy. I'm 
I, uh, you know, I'm taking care of myself. I'm, I, I have, uh, well, I'll just tell you, I got psoriatic arthritis. So I was on a on an immunosuppressant, and with this coronavirus, I said, you know, it's probably not a good thing to be on. That would be a a significant risk factor if I got it. Sure. Um, and I got off of it. My my went to the dermatologist, and she said, you know what you need to do? Go lay in the sun. Go out. Go out in your backyard. Lay in the sun. This is a dermatologist <laughs> telling me to lay in the sun, and uh, she says it'd be good for you for a number of reasons. And uh, who would have thought that a dermatologist was going to tell you to go get <laughs> to go lay in the sun to get some sunshine? But uh, uh, that, that was her recommendation. And so this is this is something that your listeners should appreciate that you know the health effects of and their vitamin D also has a very a very uh, fortifying effect in terms of fighting cancer and other other things. And, you know, I think that the sun and being in the sun has got a bit bit of a bad rap uh, as, as of late. And I don't want to diminish the fact that there are dangers of getting too much sun. But I think we may have tipped the scales too much in the in the other direction. I, we need we need to get a little bit of sunlight, not just yeah. not just does the vitamin D help us physiologically, but helps us mentally as well. Yeah, it does. And, and, it's, and it's interesting. And I've looked at that. Um, a lot of the when we talk about skin cancer, a lot of those cancers arise in places or often in places where you don't get any sun exposure uh, between your toes, uh, under your armpits. They're, they're, they're places that you just don't get sun where the skin cancer arises. And so uh, I'm certainly no expert and don't want to go into that. But uh, but if I have a dermatologist telling me to go out and get, get some sun, I think that's it's uh, I, I was actually shocked when I got that. One thing you are an expert in is geology. You're a geologist. Let's talk a little bit about how you decided to make that a career path. At what point did science appeal to you to the point where you pursued it that uh, seriously? Yeah, it started, actually, I was in fourth grade. My my grandmother was eclectic, if we shall say. If she was younger, she would have been a hippie. And... Uh, uh, she was into all kinds of stuff, and she she had found I'm not sure how she found it. there was a uh, close to the, they were they were farmers. My grandfather was a farmer, and she found a, a fossil collecting spot not not far from our place, and took me there. We'd go fossil collecting, and it was fantastic, just beautiful, beautiful trilobites. Uh, uh, and all sorts of bryozoans and all kinds of things. And I, I learned to, uh, I, she helped me with trying to figure out what everything was. And that's when I first decided that I, I had this love for geology. And then I found out that, uh, and that's what I did. I went into it, and uh, I've had a successful career. I've, uh, I got into the petroleum industry, uh, rose up through, uh, actually had a, uh, went through the equity funding process for a large uh, energy company. I was one of the founding partners there, uh, and I've I, I divorced myself from all of that uh, when I start started into this book. and And I got to tell you, I didn't I did not set out to write a book. I set out this the book is the result of my personal search for the truth because. I was told 
various different things. I didn't know what to believe. Just like you and your listeners, we're given competing, conflicting information about climate change. And, you know, is it getting colder? Is it getting warmer? Is the ice increasing, decreasing? Is it too much rain, not enough rain, too much snow, not enough snow? And I, I said, man, I'm going to, and I just, I dove into this research um, as to what climate change was. And I, I said, I'm going to look at the base data, which is what I did. And I, I just was horrified by what I found and shocked and, and actually enraged by the lies that were being told about so many things about climate change. And it's being, uh, it's an abuse of the scientific process is what I found, and that's what enraged me the most, was this, it, it just, it was, I said, I have to do something. And it was that search for the truth. And, and I, I did this, it was, I was the, uh, I gave a presentation to our local geolo- geological society about my findings, and it was that night uh, that I said, you know what, and it was a packed house, double the, the attendance. People were just thirsty for this information, and it was that night I said, you know, I'm going to turn this and write this, make turn this into a book, and it was, I need to expose this and the climate lies of what we're being told. And, and it's not that, it's not, I'm not a science denier. I accept that it's warming. I accept that carbon dioxide is increasing, and it's because of our burning of fossil fuels. But what I found through my research, in which I capture my book, and my next book that I'm working on now is going to fully, more fully explore that, is that the combination of the modest rise in temperature that we've seen over and started 300 years ago, this modest rise in temperature combined with an increase in CO2 is leading to an Earth that's prospering and thriving. We're, by almost every metric you look at, life is better. Ecosystems are thriving and improving. Completely opposite of what we're being told. We're being told that, aren't we, that, that just... Everything we look at is just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's just not so. It's just not so. And what they need to do is is impose this climate of fear, which is what the mainstream media, the UN, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, AOC, Al Gore, they all want to uh, further this climate of fear of this a looming apocalypse, one after the other, of, of droughts, of floods, of increasing toenail fungus, you, you name it. Uh, that's what they want you to believe is, is happening, and it's, and it's not. It's not. They're using, what they're doing is using failed climate models, just as we've seen the models for COVID-19 have been complete failures with overprediction, they're doing the same thing with climate models, overpredicting warming, and 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 predicting. They're saying, "Oh my God, this is what's going to happen, thirty, fifty, or eighty years in the future." And and I'm a climate realist. I look at what's actually happening today, 
and say, no, the earth is thriving, prospering, and greening, and humanity's benefiting uh, from our changing climate, not getting worse. So there's so many questions from what you just said. I'm not sure where to start other than let's start. There's a lot lot there that I threw out, but, but go ahead. Yes. Let's start with the, uh, the messengers, the Al Gore's of the world, the AOC's of the world, people that would, would, if they had their way, uh, legislate to control almost every part of our lives based on what they call uh, climate change science. Do they believe what they're saying, or are they just using it as an excuse? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I get similar questions a lot. Some do. Some do believe. Actually, believe this. There are um, others are using it as an agenda. For example, there was a webinar uh, April second. It was aired. It was uh, it was put on by the. Society of Environmental Journalists, the SEJ, and one of the panelists there was a senior fellow for, are you ready for it, the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, the CFR, you know them, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know this is a one-world globalist, Rockefeller-founded, funded group, uh, and they, they, they want and are not not very silent about it. They want globalist government, and uh, and that's what her her big thing was in this in this panel was this is a and that's this is the, the webinar was on how we how do we talk about climate change in an age of COVID nineteen, <laughs> and her big point was well we've got these both COVID nineteen and climate change are global problems. And because of that, we need global solutions. We need to work globally to solve these problems. And I just want, oh, uh, it, it sent chills up my spine. She was just talking about these globe, how we need to work globally for this. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, thank you. Uh, Donald Trump, thank you, has, has, he got us out of the Paris Climate Accord, thank God. Uh, he's he's uh, working very well to keep us away from do, enacting stupid, idiotic, economically crippling uh, regulations like the Green New Deal or the Paris Climate Accord. Um, but these the, these people, it's, so when we're talking about what are their motivations, you know, for her it was pretty clear. She wants a global governance. Um, other people, another that was on the panel was Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, who is a, she's a doctor of climatology, but appropriately she's in the political science department. <laughs> Just, you know, that's, that's if you're going to be a, a climate alarmist, you know, you've got to be in the climate, in the political science, not, not anywhere uh, dealing with actual science. And what I, my, my, I'm, I'm hesitating here because it's, I, I, I have to hesitate because my my main goal in talking about this is is dealing with the science and not the politics, because too often we 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 talk about 
if we get into the politics of this, which I know you would love to do, but uh, it, it it almost sounds like you, you have to put on a tinfoil hat, that there's this global conspiracy, maybe there is, of of leaders and scientists and everybody around the world that's trying to push this this fake narrative of global warming. And when I'm asked those questions, what you just asked, what, what's the, what, what you're saying is, to rephrase it is, why are they lying to us? And I always tell people, when, the main, my main response to that is, is that, is that you and every one of your listeners are just as qualified to tell me why they're doing it is what I am. Mm. Um, you know, because I don't know. Yeah. What I can do, I can provide what I, my, I see my role in this, in this discussion as providing, as a scientist, provide the science, the facts, and the data that says they are lying to you. And you can make up your own mind as why they're lying to you. Um, and we can go through, as we go through here tonight, there will be a number of these, what I call the big climate hoaxes, the recent climate hoaxes, um, extinction events. Uh, just two days ago, a report on mega droughts, on how uh, the worst droughts of thousands of years are occurring now in the southwest United States, which is completely false. Um, you know, how... How fires are increasing in California? They're not. They're declining. Uh, things like that. We'll talk about that as we go through here, and and it's and it's important for me. That's what. So that's what I that that's what I see as my role is. This is is providing the science that tells you they're lying to you, and rather, you know, I'll let up. I'll let you and your listeners decide why they're lying. Hmm. Um, well, let me let me ask yeah. this question, and, and this may fall right into the same category that you're that you're kind of packaging uh, right now. But how and why has this become an issue that seems to be divided along political lines? It seems as though, you know, you can look you can look at quote unquote the science, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent or whatever, and and you may see value in it or you may not. But for some reason, this is largely divided among political lines. Do we have any yeah. any understanding of why it happens that way? Yeah, that's it's fascinating. But you are exactly right. Uh, most conservatives are skeptical. Most progressives and liberals just buy into this uh, into the into this global warming catastrophic opinion uh it, yeah it's it, it's it's fascinating and i'd like to think maybe conservatives are well i'll be i'll be, I'll be damning the <laughs> progressives and maybe they do well, maybe they deserve to be damned before but but they're they're, they're they, yes but you're exactly right there there is a, a spectrum of of the camp and the progressive elements buying into climate change. And, and it could be, you know, the, this climate change uh, argument when we talk about the pol- political aspects uh, is, or are they, do they really want to uh, 
advance this or do they want to destroy the economy? Yeah. Do they want to destroy uh, America over this? Yeah, and, and I'm not. And I'm not sure. Well I'm not so sure. The, you know, maybe that's one of the overarching goals of this. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And maybe I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt that it's destroying is their objective. I think it's more of a control issue than anything else. But let's let's talk about climate change. When we use, first of all, we were talking about global warming for a very long time, and suddenly, and for some reason, the 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 debate shifted. It was no longer global warming. It was now climate change. So what if we had, if, if somebody had just landed here from Mars and said, I heard this phrase, climate change, what would we be talking about? Yeah, there's, well, let's, let's talk first about what I believe. Okay. And, and, and in terms of climate change, uh, I believe climate's changing. It always does. I'm a geologist. We, we know the, the thing that would be surprising to anybody would be is if it's not changing. Exactly. If it's if it's uh, if it's if it's not, then that would be a, a truly odd coincidence that it, that it wasn't changing. And uh, what what I believe is that yes, temp, we're in a warming period. It's been warming. It started in the late 17th century, can in I, the can, late 1600s. Can I, can I interrupt you just for a second? Because yep. I want to ask this question, because it relates to this. Hasn't it really been warm, warming for, what was the last ice age, 25,000 years ago? Hasn't it really been warming warming that whole time? Uh, no, no, it hasn't, actually. There's, uh, the, the end of the last ice age occurred some 11,000 years ago. And that's when it really, the, 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 the peak in the warming began. That's when we got out of the, 11,000 or so, 12,000 years ago, it really started it, drastic warming. And we're in the interglacial period now. And, and it was in the period six to 9,000 years ago, it was called the Holocene Optima. And remember, this is, a, this is a key point for your listeners. It was called an Optima. It was, it was the high point of the warming six to 9,000 years ago. And it was called an optima. These these warming periods were called uh, optima for a good reason because it was beneficial to both the Earth, the Earth's ecosystems, and to humanity. These these warming periods were very beneficial. Uh, we had the Roman optima, the medieval optima. We've got the current warming period we're in right now. And so again, we we, we started warming. It was it was actually the depths of the of what was called the Little Ice Age uh, in the late 1600s. Uh, it was it was horrific, uh, and we've been warming for 300 years more or less in fits and starts. It it warms for 30 or 40 years and then might might cool a little bit, but then it warms up some more. Uh, right now we're in a period of 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 about 20 years. Where it hasn't really warmed at all, uh, it's called the great. It's called the pause, and uh, you know we we don't know what's going to happen uh, from here on out. No one does. If they tell you, you do, then then you should. I don't know what's going to happen. I think I do. I could. I, I use what I do is I look back through Earth's history and say, okay, this is what's happened before. As a geologist, I can look at that, and I said, and it's probably going to repeat. So if looking at the other warming periods that we've had in the past, I believe that we'll continue to have warming for another 
period of time, whatever that period is, is it 50 years or 100 years or 150 years, I don't know. But at some point it's going to cool down again, just like it always does. And the big, the big takeaway on all this is, is the strong correlation. And this is what my next book is going to deal a lot with, is the strong correlation between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of civilizations. And in each case, what we've seen is the previous warming periods that we've seen uh, as the warm, these were warm periods that were warmer than they are today. And each one of those warm periods was associated with just tremendous advances of civilizations and technology. And em- great empires rose up and, and uh, civilizations rose up. And food was bountiful and plentiful in these warm periods. And if you were uh, in each one of those periods, if you were living in that time, you didn't have to wonder or worry about how you're going to feed your family tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. This food was bountiful in the warm periods. And so that gave you time to people to tinker, to dream, to sculpt, to invent. And that's why things grow. And it was the cold periods, the intervening cold periods that went by the names of the Greek Dark Ages, the Dark Ages, and the Little Ice Age. Each one of those cold periods were horrific. Horrific. It was accompanied by uh, crop failure, famine, pestilence and mass depopulation, each one of those cold periods. And again, isn't that opposite of what we're being told? Yeah. We're being told, fear the, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we can't let it, you know, we have to do something to stop it from warming. Well, no, that's not what history tells us. History tells us is that these warm periods were, were, were tremendous for both the Earth's ecosystems and for humanity. And this, these, this warm period we're in right now is nothing different. And we're, we should, again, I embrace it. If you look on the back of my SUV, I've got my I Love CO2 bumper sticker. <laughs> and, and I've got, I've got uh, uh, I Love CO2 t-shirts. We're, and, in fact, we're going to be having, I'm, I'm building a new website right now. We're going to be offering uh, my uh, t-shirts and bumper stickers and, and uh, ball caps, my I love CO2 uh, paraphernalia, because I'm I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of the ben- many, many benefits of of carbon dioxide increases, and it's 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 just completely contrary to what we're being told. If we look at CO2, it's CO2 has so many benefits to. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you and you, you've got a smart listener base that that they realize that increasing CO2 is a plant food and it benefits crops. In my book, I I, I capture um, that uh, information from Dr. Craig Idso and his team. They looked at laboratory experiments, or actually they were greenhouse experiments, and an increase of 300 parts per million of CO2 would lead to an average 46% increase in crop growth. And, and that he looked at the 95% of the crops grown on Earth. That's a good thing. That's a really, 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 really good thing that we could feed the hungry 
we could feed uh, a lot more people, and we could deal with the rising population base just by the increase in CO2. And it's and the other the other benefit of CO2 increase is that plants don't require as much water with rising CO2, and that's because they don't. Uh, it's called the uh, transpiration process. In other words, the breathing in and out. Uh, plants uh, suck in through their stomata or pores. Uh, they they suck in. Uh, the air, which includes CO2, and convert it in the photosynthesis process and expel oxygen. Well, because they don't need as much of this, and, and when they're expelling this, they're also expelling water water vapor. So, because they're not expelling it as much, they don't need as much, and they're not sucking as much out of the out of the ground. So, it leaves increased soil moisture because of increased CO2. And uh, and again, that's partly driving a decrease in forest fires. It's partly decreasing uh, droughts around the world because of an increased soil moisture content. Greg, what are the natural factors that affect warming and cooling on the planet? Uh, obviously, the sun is a huge part of that. But talk a little bit about the sun's effects and how important that is. And then some of the other things that happen here on Earth that affect, and this—I'm not talking about man-made things. I'm talking about natural occurrences. Yeah, there's the big drivers that drive glacial advances and retreats. They're called Milankovitch cycles. It's there are three of these things that drive. Uh, it's the wobble of the Earth, the eccentricity of the Earth's orbit, and things like that that drive the really big changes. Uh, we're pretty sure about that. That's pretty much without dispute, that those are the big drivers of these big cycles. Now, what, we're, what, we're in, what, we, what we want to talk about, remember I said that the last uh, glacial period ended about 11,000 years ago. Yep. And since that time, uh, we've seen temperature going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And those, and not in as much significant as what the big, the big glacial cycles, the big glacial, you know, there might be a, uh, a 15 or 20 degree Fahrenheit change between the cold of the glacial periods and the warmth of what we're in right now. But, here in this cycle, what we're talking about, the last 10,000 or so years, going up and down and up and down and down, um, a lot of people, there's a lot of, of work that confirms that it's probably due to solar uh, fluctuations. Uh, I, I'm not... I. I'm not arrogant enough to tell you that I know exactly what it is. Uh, I see. I, I read a lot of material uh, from respected people that say it's the solar influences that change it. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I just don't know. I, I mean, don't know. But what, and it's okay to say that. Sure. It's okay to say I don't know because I, I, I've seen... I, I read a lot, and I, I, people advance various philosophies. Um, I do know that what I can say is I'm pretty 
doggone sure it's not related to CO2, which is that's the big that's the big thing we need to decide. Is our increases in CR are our increases in CO2 from the burning of fossil fuels? Are they are they what's driving the, the increase in CO2? Is that is that what's driving our um, the degree or degree and a half of centigrade temperature increase that we've seen over the last hundred or so years? And I don't think it is because it's the the increase that we've seen uh, in the modern period. It looks very similar to the increases that we've seen throughout time over the last ten thousand years. Uh, this. We've seen nine other warming trends very similar to what we're in right now, and those weren't driven by by man-made increases in CO2. Uh, five of the nine other warming periods had higher rates of warming than we than what we've seen over the last hundred or so years. So this is, and that's that's the big that's the key. Uh, what what they in parentheses or what what they want you to believe is that. Um, our modern temperatures, the rate of increase of temperature, uh, the current warming that we've seen is unusual and unprecedented. And uh, if we look at it in the geologic, again, I bring the geologic context here. If we look at it, uh, the, the temperatures we see today are not unusual. They're not unprecedented. It's very similar to what we've seen uh, over the last 10,000 years in terms of changes. We just happened to be in a warming period, thank God. Uh, it brought us out of the, the death-dealing cold of the Little Ice Age and are, are leading to, to beneficial changes here on Earth. And we see it uh, just about every, every, every metric we look at has been, is improving and has been improving. One of the things I don't think I heard you mentioned, and I've always been under the impression that it is a rather important uh, part of this cycle, is volcanic activity. Doesn't that contribute to Earth's, uh, whether it's uh, cooling, yeah. warming, or anything? Yeah, yeah, I just wrote, again, I, I just, uh, if, you're, if your listeners are, are on LinkedIn, you can go connect with me on LinkedIn. I have a post just last week on volcan, volcanism. Uh, there have been times through Earth's history where volcanism has impacted the Earth's temperature significantly. This is not one of them. Um, there, there was a, uh, a pretty well-known geologist out of Australia that that's he he's it's mostly attributed to him where he says that one big volcanic eruption will put out as much CO2 as as all of Earth's history, and that's just not that's factually incorrect. Mm factually correct that uh, actually uh, volcanism uh, and volcanoes emit somewhere around one or two percent of what man's contribution is and it looks it looks like a lot of big volcano does put out a lot in one day uh, when it when it erupts but it's it's tiny compared to, to man's I don't have the I don't have the information up here. I, I tell you what the actual uh, numbers are on this, but it, it's just not so. And, and you can, and that's confirmed. Uh, again, if you go on uh, my posts, uh, again, if you're on LinkedIn, you could uh, connect with me. There, there's a, a, a figure I show. If we, if we look at the Mauna Loa uh, carbon dioxide levels of, of concentration in the atmosphere, 
they go back to 1958. And I've posted, if, if you look at there the three largest volcanoes, Chacon, uh, uh, Pinatubo, and another one called Agula, uh, were the three largest over the last 40 years. There, there, when they erupted, there was there was no zero effect on on atmospheric CO2 increase. And if that was the case, that that CO now now what I will say is in throughout geologic time there were mass there were periods when massive Vulcan volcanism events occurred. Uh, the Russian steppes uh, was, is a big one. With uh, there was a period that. Uh, these these things just volcanoes just now these weren't there are two kinds am I going to am I going too technical with you on no this? I think we're good I think we're okay still okay so there are two kinds of volcanoes there are explosive volcanoes like Pinatubo Mount St Helens bam man they they send you know explosive stuff up up in the atmosphere tens of thousands of feet and it's just and then there are other volcanoes if you can imagine Kilauea that are they're called effusive volcanoes where they just kind of flow out the explosive volcanoes cause a cooling effect across the earth for for a number of years because they're putting a lot of stuff they're blocking out the sun uh, but they also put out a lot of things called like chlorine and bromine and CO2, um, but it's overwhelmed by the cooling effects. These effusive volcanoes uh, put out all the same uh, uh, atmospheric things like bromine, chlorine, and, and and can cause a warming effect. But there were times on Earth when it, when these things just, for whatever reason, the Russian steppes are 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 like that. There are hundreds of meters of of magma and lava that covered most of Russia and emitted a huge amount of this. And it's fascinating. I'm I'm looking into this right now. There's a, a, a fellow geologist, Peter Ward, that's written a book uh, on this, and he 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 relates that the bromine and chlorine that are that are emitted along with the CO2 destroy the ozone, and 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 believe it or not, the ozone layer destruction. I thought it was a hoax. It's not. It wasn't. We were we were harming the ozone layer by emitting a lot of this stuff, and and we did something good by not doing by by making the changes. And but what we do with the ozone layer when we when it's destroyed by these these chemicals. It allows ultraviolet light to hit the Earth, a lot more of it, which then warms the Earth more. So his, his theory is during these events uh, that happen periodically through Earth, Earth's history that the ultraviolet light would come down and warm the planet. And and that's what, what his theory And it's fascinating. Uh, I'm not sure if I buy into it completely, but it's a really interesting theory. And that just tells us how much we don't know about climate and what controls temperatures. Um, so there's there's a lot to be learned yet. Uh, I like to explore these, these uh, uh, theories like that. Gregory Whitestone is our guest. He's a geologist. He's got a book. It's called Inconvenient Facts. 
the signs that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. His website is inconvenientfacts.xyz. Greg, that's the first uh, website I've I've actually come across with that extension, XYZ. Is there something, something um, specific about that, or is it just catchy? No. Uh, there was the dot-com was available. Uh, someone had, had done it, and I think it was after Al Gore did his book. They reserved it. Uh, and it's and it was up for fifteen years uh, for for someone to they people do that they reserve a name and hope somebody will buy it from them right. and, and uh, they wanted uh, uh, five thousand dollars for the dot com oh, and I offered them eight hundred and uh, they said immediately the price went up to twenty thousand and I said <laughs> go pound salt yeah I'll I don't do blame the X Y Z so <laughs> I don't blame it, you. It hasn't hurt me because we're getting somewhere between fifty and 60,000 unique visitors a month uh, to the website because I've got a lot of content there uh, that I post. Um, and we're actually building a new website right now where we'll, we'll be offering a lot of our merchandise uh, there along with some other uh, cool I'm, – I'm also doing what I'm calling – it's the Climate Chronicles. It's a live – well, we're going live on YouTube and Facebook uh, every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and what I'm going to do, it's about a 15-minute segment that I'm going to be doing. And we'll be going through some of the basics of what we're talking about tonight. And, and in that Climate Chronicles live, we'll be I'll be using a lot of figures and charts in I'm big on empowering people with knowledge and information. And so what we're going to do is, is on my new, the new website, we're going to be offering a PowerPoint of the figures from each weekly Climate Chronicles segment that I, that I air. And, and it'll be able, so your listeners will be able to then go get um, charts. They'll be able to get the information. They'll be able to get uh, a chart that will show the last 350 years of temperature, the last 12,000 years of temperature, whatever I talk about on that. Um, so we're we're just we're going through that right now. It's a, it's it's an exciting time, and uh, again, I, I'm I'm big in empowering people with with information. And we had just talked here before the break about the volcanoes. I while we were on the break here, I went back and looked. Uh, so, U.S. about volcanoes, according to the United States Geological Survey, uh, volcanoes emit 200 million tons of CO2 per year, which is a lot, but that's compared to 24 billion tons that's emitted from the use of, of man's fossil, of burning of fossil fuels and use of fossil fuels. And again, I'm not, I, I don't deny that CO2 is increasing because of fossil fuels, and I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm a big proponent of how beneficial that is. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have, one of the biggest lies, is that uh, we have too much CO2 in the atmosphere, and it's dangerous. We're we're getting dangerous increases when, in fact, if we look through geologic history, and just let's let's talk, let's take a look about what CO2 is right today. CO2, carbon dioxide, is at a little over 400 parts per million. 
of in the atmosphere. It's a trace gas, and uh, although it's a trace gas, it's a very important gas. So 400 parts per million, a little bit over, right now. The average throughout Earth's history, going back to the Precambrian, was 2,600 parts per million, six and a half times what we are today. Oh wow! And and people don't know that. They go, wow, that's interesting. And the, there's there's an important chart, uh, which I can send you. You need to get this to your, to your listeners and po- post this at your website. Okay. Is the 140 million year decline in carbon dioxide. It's almost a straight line decline from 2,500 parts per million down uh, to where we are today. And, and viewing that, and in fact... I've got a red line at the bottom of this chart. In your, in your mind's eye, there's a red line at the bottom at 150 parts per million, which is what I call the line of death. That's the minimum threshold for plant life to exist. That would be, we nearly got there at the end of the last ice age. Did you say 100, to, 150 parts per million? Is 150 that? parts per million. We got to 172 parts per million at the end of the last ice age. We went from 2,500 down to 172, almost crossed that line of death. Now, that's that would be a true climate apocalypse, would it not, if we crossed that? So what we have today, we don't have too much CO2. We're actually CO2 impoverished. Uh, when, when the plants that we rely on, most of the plants, um, are evolved back... Uh, plant life, the CO2 was about 2,500 parts per million. So these plants evolved wanting and needing and using higher CO2 levels than they are today. And it only, it, it just goes to reason, and we show it by laboratory studies, that higher CO2 levels increase plant growth. Now, there, again, I don't want to go too technical on you here, but there are two main groups of plants that we we rely on, there are the C3 plants. Those are the ones that evolved back when it was 2,500 parts per million, and they love CO2. And then uh, later, because of much lower CO2 levels, there was this niche that these what are called C4 plants: corn, maize, some of the grasses. Uh, they evolved to survive in a much lower CO2 environment. So they, they also, the C4 plants like corn, maize, things like that, um, they, they also benefit from higher CO2 levels, but not just as much. And so it's fascinating that, that you know, again, the big story here is is that CO2 levels aren't too high. They're not, they're not high enough. They're, we're, we're still CO2 impoverished. And, and, and they, they tell us, well, oh, my God, the CO2 levels are, it's not dangerous. The uh, uh, EPA doesn't set limits uh, for in, in workplaces until it gets to 10,000 parts per million. Uh, there's, there's virtually no effects in terms of, of bad effects of CO2 directly on humans until it gets up to, oh, you know, 15,000, 20,000 parts per million. I've, I've had a, con, a recent uh, fascinating conversation with a, an old geezer, I think he's 84, 88, or whatever he is, 
that had gone through. He was a submariner, and he he told some great stories about he he transitioned from the the diesel subs to the nuclear, and uh, uh, about how you know sometimes they the, the CO two levels got so high they that it was well in excess of twenty thousand parts per million that. Uh, they would sometimes get headaches, and they'd have to get up to the surface to uh, to recycle fresh air in. But again, we're nowhere near that. We're never. No one is expecting anything uh, because of that. So no, this the the, CO, this, the the big story that if if nothing, your listeners don't learn anything else tonight. We're not. We're, we're a CO2 impoverished. We don't have. It's we don't have too much CO2. We don't have enough. Greg, I have to ask, we talked about politicians, the people who deliver these messages to us and preach to us, and my question about them was, do they believe what they're saying, or are they using it as a as a tool to get what they want? What about the scientists? I mean, if, if, you, if you believe media headlines, there is a consensus among scientists that we are causing uh, an increase in CO2 levels that will irreparably destroy civilization, or at least much of it, if we don't get it in check. Are they looking at the same data? Are they lying about it? And are they misrepresenting it? Or are they, in fact, convinced of what they're saying? Yeah, that's, that's where I get... Some are, some aren't. I mean, you, you use it, it you, takes a brave person. It takes a brave person to, and I know because I've experienced it, to to stand up and speak out against this. Because again, everyone talks about this so-called consensus, which is uh, I could go on for half an hour on that alone. But there, there is there is not a consensus. And when I let me tell you what, when I speak. I've spoken at many scientific organizations, mostly geologists, and and it's it. There's a consensus, all right, and the consensus is that they agree with me. Most geologists agree with me, and and it's just. Uh, it's, I get the impression. I get the impression. There's not necessarily a consensus, but there's a more concerted effort to silence one side. Oh yeah, and that's why you hear I've, more of the other. Yeah, and I've been. I've been fortunate. Right now, I've, I've been accepted as an expert reviewer for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. I'm an expert reviewer, and I'm part of this. This is the UN. This is this, these. I'm part of the bad guys, but <laughs> I want to be part of that because I want to have input. Sure, uh, they ignore it, but but I've been accepted as that, and because of that, I've. I have recently been in a debate. I debated uh, an alarmist professor at Cornell University uh, in November. Uh, one of the first times that's happened, they just will not. They don't. They don't do it because what that does is gives me a voice to prom- to not promote, but, but to voice the inconvenient facts that these. Students don't don't know and haven't heard, and and there were two hundred hundred eighty five students in that in that classroom. It was the forensics and debate class where where we did it. Uh, it wasn't open to the public, but but it was there, and and it was amazing. Uh, the students afterwards came up, and I brought books for every one of them. I said, I'm going to give you each a book. If you want a book, you come get it. 
And of course, students, you know, they like college students, anything that's free, they love it. <laughs> and uh, my brother was there, and he was saying people, would, they were all lined up, and as they would come down, I was signing them. He would hand them a book and look at them right in the eye and point at them and say, if you take this book, you have to promise to read it. And they go, okay. And, and, and the students, it was, it was empowering because these, these students heard things they'd never heard before. Uh, and they were, their eyes were opened. They weren't necessarily buying into it. But, uh, and that's what I find as I travel around the country is, uh, well, back when I was doing it, uh, was just in the airports, wherever I would travel, every I've never met anybody that wasn't interested in hearing what I had to say and was just thirsty. People are thirsty for this information that I provide. People are thirsty that you can get from, from my book, Inconvenient Facts. Go to inconvenientfacts.xyz. We have a smartphone app, too. Uh, you can go to the, the uh, App Store, Google Play, to get the smartphone apps. You can have this information. That way, that way if you're... If you're well, once once this is all over and you have Sunday dinner or go out to a dinner with your and you're there with your idiot nephew Billy. <laughs> Everybody's got an idiot nephew Billy, right, or somebody like that. And and your idiot nephew Billy says, "Oh well, uh, Uncle JB, uh, polar bears are going extinct." You can go wait a minute, and you can pull out your smartphone and you could queue up inconvenient fact number fifty two. And say, well, wait a minute, Billy. Here's a chart showing polar bear population for the last 60 years, and it's increasing. What about that, Billy? And, and that's the power that 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 this has. That you can have this information right in the palm of your hands. And I find as I travel around, I can pull this out and 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 talk to people about this. And, and so that's again, I'm. I'm really big on on empowering people with information and knowledge. That's that's one of the big things I want to do. And, and you said that's inconvenient app. That's how that's what it's called. Yeah, you could you could you could uh, Google. You could search for at the App Store, Google Play, inconvenient app or inconvenient facts. And it's well. Let me tell you a story about that. That's what. Uh, we wrote, I, I, I got a call out of the blue from this guy from Boston, Carl Kowalski. And he says, he says uh, Mr. Wrightstone, he says, uh, he introduced himself. He says, do you have a smartphone app for your book? And I said, no. He says, well, I think you're, oh, well, I'm an app developer. I think your book would. And we started talking, and we struck. So we got a business relationship. We, we created uh, in LLC, I provided the content. He provided the tech. It's it's the state of the art uh, smartphone app on climate change. There's nothing. There's nothing that approaches it. Nothing. And uh, we got it up. Got it out. Uh, I went down on the uh, 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 went down and rolled it out. Actually, on the Glenn Beck show, went down to Mercury Studios in Dallas. Rolled it out on that. Had a Half an hour. Glenn Glenn Beck loves the app, um, and and uh, two days later, Apple removed it from the App Store. Oh, really? Yeah. And I I've got a lot of contacts with uh, so the Daily Signal from Heritage Foundation, 
the next day wrote a story about it, and it was their their lead story that day. And they've got twenty two, twenty four million uh, subscribers, and, and and Drudge picked it up. It was the number one story on Drudge for twenty four hours. Get that. Was about my. Uh-huh. It was about Apple removing Greg's app from the <laughs> App Store, and I was on Laura Ingram that night. One American News. I was on Tucker Carlson the next night, and and the book sales just exploded. We were. <laughs> wow. It was the number one, and and since that time, uh, this was a little over a year ago. Uh, we've been number one bestseller on Amazon in. A couple of categories, off and on, uh, mostly on, and uh, we're down a little bit now. But uh, uh, so it was the best thing that ever happened. And then uh, so I've just <laughs> we used that just to just to push the book sales, and and it did, and it was it was an incredible story. And uh, we we ended up getting the, the app is available now. Uh, uh, we uh, it was kind of funny they. They said that it was uh, it lacked compelling content. Well, holy crap! Wow! If you look at if you look at at the i if you if you go in your iPhone or the App Store and look for climate change apps, they have twenty or thirty or forty of these things that look like failed middle school science fair projects. <laughs> With, I mean, these are, seriously. These, I mean, I've got a. I have a niece that's in sixth grade that could do a better job creating an app than what some of these things were. And they said mine lacked compelling content. Really? Wow. And it was just, it was a blatant. And, of course, the name of my book is Inconvenient Facts, The Science That Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know. (laughs) And I'm going to let you guess what ex-vice president of the United States sits on Apple's board of directors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, one, two, three. Yeah. Yeah, Al Gore. Of course. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so it's been, and and then we, so we used that, and my, you know, we had our, my local library, okay? So it's a best-selling book. I'm, my local library is a mile and a half up the road, they banned my book. And we're like, Jeez. really? Really? You've got a best-selling author in your district. You know, how many others, name one, that you, you, you have a best-selling author in your district? How many others? Uh, none. Well, but, yeah. And they banned my books. Of course, that, that also got put up. Uh, the Daily Signal from Heritage Foundation. You're familiar with Heritage, I'm sure. Sure, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Daily Signal. If you don't, it, it's a great, if you haven't signed up for it, you should. Uh, great summary every morning to get up to, to information. Uh, again, it was, it, they featured that story about uh, local library censors, geolo- local geologist book, uh, you know, which again drove sales through the roof. So, uh, you know, it's I just uh, have to comment here because um, I find the most troubling and the most dangerous part of all of this discussion, and it could be said of the coronavirus discussion, is this effort to silence one side of the argument. You know, 
that to me, and, and, and you mentioned Apple pulling your app. Um, I've, I just heard Facebook is taking down any uh, Facebook posts that talk about organizing protests against what's what governments mm-hmm. are doing. Um, you know, which is a, which is a constitutionally protected uh, uh, right, and it's the top of the list. It's the first amendment of the Bill of yeah. Rights, and Facebook has decided that that is that is misinformation and and bad news or whatever they call it. They're taking those things down. We know that Google influences the types of search responses you get depending on what you type in. We know that YouTube filters certain videos. This video will be filtered when it's posted tomorrow. Um, it won't get the uh, the response and the search results that it should because of the title that it'll have. Um, it, that is the most troubling part of this whole discussion, is this effort to silence anybody who has a dissenting opinion. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah, it is. And, you know, my, my wife and I went down to our local Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania protest yesterday. And in the sign, we signs on both sides of our truck. It said, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. And... uh you know, we're we've got an overarch our overreaching government that's trying to shut us all down. Yeah. Uh it should be it shouldn't be essential versus non essential. It should be safe versus unsafe. And 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 uh I I just for the first and we our governor well actually our our transgender uh, attorney uh, surgeon general for Pennsylvania uh just enacted uh, forced uh, wearing of, of uh, face masks, and I wore my first face mask today, uh, and I, I just... You know, I'm not going I'm, I'm to say... I'm, I'm telling you what, I'm, I don't make a very darn good sheep. I'm not very <laughs> I'm not good either. Sheep. I'm not either. And I'm not going to tell you that it's a bad idea to wear a face mask, but I am going to tell you I'm not going to accept someone ordering me to. Uh, there's exactly. No, there's nothing in the Constitution that gives them that authority. But anyway, we, I, we could go on about that for another hour, and we don't have a lot of time left. What happens... When the scientists and these politicians offer these benchmarks, and, and I, we've, we've seen these dates come and go. You know, the, in the year 2000, ocean levels are going to rise, uh, you know, six inches and Manhattan's going to be underwater. These things come and go all the time. They come and go and they don't happen. How do these people justify that? And do they just reset the dates on this stuff? Uh, they do. And it's, you know, one of the examples I gave in my book was that. Uh, in 2005, the UN said that there would be uh, 50 million climate refugees by the year 2010. Well, 2010 came and went, and of course there weren't any. And, and I published my book, and we looked at it. They identified the highest risk uh, communities, and they listed five uh, island nations. And I looked in the population of those island nations had exploded the census data from whenever they did there in 2005 uh, to 2015 had exploded completely and so people were flocking to these at-risk islands not fleeing from them and then in 2015 they issued the same 50 million climate refugees by 2020 well it's 2020 <laughs> and none of those the same island i haven't looked at the census data but i'm sure their their populations are still expanding so they they keep people they just think that people will will just ignore them they're there's i don't know yeah it's i i i have great faith 
I think the truth will win out, is what I think. And and I think that they're overreaching by some of these things. The latest was this, was we didn't get into all, oh, yeah, there was so much we didn't talk about, but, but uh, we the latest climate hoax was this thing about mega droughts, the worst mega drought uh, in the southwest United States is occurring for the last 2,000 years, when in fact just the opposite is occurring, and, and just... Uh, we have the, the the climate hoax about about mass extinctions. Which... Yeah, let's. I want to talk about that for a second because uh, for a while uh, until this coronavirus took over all the headlines, you know, this Greta Thunberg uh, was the darling of that particular argument in that side, and you know, she mm-hmm. gave a very emotional speech, and which who knows? I don't know. Uh, but uh, first of all, was she right about anything? And secondly. Why her? What 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 about her uh, makes her such an authority on all this? Well, she's she's not an authority. She's she's a compelling figure. She's uh, there's some people that just rise up at the at the right time, and uh, she was one of those people that had a voice. I think she's being funded by who who knows who. I don't know, but every time she opens her mouth uh, lately, she's talking about mass extinctions occurring, and I took a look at that. There was a, a, a United States House representatives held a, a hearing on that. Uh, Mark Morano and Patrick Moore were testified. I wish I had been there, but they used my my analysis of this. Uh, Mark Morano and b- both Patrick Moore uh, used my analysis uh, of mass extinctions to dispute this. And what we found was that um, the UN report. Uh, alleging mass extinctions was just, uh, again, you can go to my website at inconvenientfacts.xyz to find out about this, about the mass extinctions. I looked at the exact same data they did and found that extinctions peaked in the late 1800s, and they've been in decline ever since, significant decline ever since, because in the late 1800s we did a lot of exploration of the, the People were in the in the uh, Caribbean and the Pacific Islands were landing, and rats and uh, invasive species were taking over and just killing uh, all kinds of species that were that were uh, uh, vulnerable to right. these these populations of whatever they were. And but we've been in extinction now. In the UN report. They claim that there would be one million extinctions over the next several decades. Would it get to one million extinctions in that time frame? You'd need twenty-five thousand to thirty thousand extinctions per year. You know what it's been for the last forty years? What the average? We need twenty-five thousand to thirty thousand extinctions per year. It's been two, not two hundred, <laughs> not two thousand, two extinctions per year over the last forty years. Really, and that and, and that, that's just an example of how how they abuse and misuse data. It's an abuse of the scientific process, of, is what it is, and that's just one grand example of the abuse of the scientific process. And as a scientist, it outrages me that they do this and they get away with it. And uh, it's 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 horrific what they do. What about the lies? And, and if we just look at California, the California fires is another great example. We're being told everybody thinks that, that fires are increasing because of global warming. 
the fact of the matter is the number of fires in California has declined by almost 50% over the last 40 years, and nobody knows it. Now, the area burned has increased, but, but again, that's a forest management project right. problem. The number of fires in California have declined 50% in the last 40 years. Who, who knew that? You didn't know that, did you? Right. No, of course not. Did not. Yeah. And, and, and it's, this, it's, it's, it's just stuff like that. I'm sorry. I get I get. No, no it's, it's okay. Yeah, I, about this. this is important information. It's the same thing. You know, we're, we're told that uh, weather ex, extreme, extreme weather events are more common, more frequent, like hurricanes, tornadoes. Is there any truth to that, that these things are more Absolutely frequent? Absolutely not. The extreme weather deaths, deaths related to extreme weather, has declined 98% since the 1920s. 98%. Now, again, a lot of that has to do with prediction and, and you know, making sure that, you know, the things that... But, it, but it's, it's completely opposite of what we're being told. And we're, we're being told that, 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 yeah, it's... Oh, I can just... And I, my, in my book, I document the last half of my book are what I call the climate apocalypse. Or these each one. I take a look at each one of these uh, climate apocalypse events to show that it's just the absolute. The science shows that it's absolutely opposite of what of what we're being told. You're you and your listeners are being lied to. You're being lied to about supposed horrific events related to climate change, and it's just not so. It's not. What about um, the Green New Deal? We keep hearing about this. The uh, parts of Congress uh, seem to keep wanting to slip it into some of these uh, COVID uh, stimulus or recovery or assistance bills that that are here. And I'm also very, very concerned that now that we've opened this door for mayors, governors, and even a president to uh, issue... Not unconstitutional orders and mandates because of a quote unquote uh, scientific phenomena such as a virus that they might use those same arguments uh, to do something that would maybe ban SUVs because of global warming. I mean, do you see that threat? Yeah, there there was uh, this recent webinar that was just uh, April April second. They they were talking about how we need to message the media needs to message uh, climate change in an era of covid-19 and and that's what they were talking about and they they need and what we're going to see and you've had some some predictions you've heard uh that haven't turned out to be true by covid-19 I'll tell you one thing that will be true they're going to be they're going to be be an all out massive assault linking uh, COVID nineteen to climate change, mm-hmm. and and how uh, look what we were able to do. We were able to act in time. Thank God we were able to do this to save the Earth from hundreds of millions of deaths or whatever it is from COVID nineteen. We have the same existential threat with with climate change, and we have to act now. We can't wait. For that, for for it to occur, we have to act now to prevent this from occurring, uh, because it's just as dangerous as COVID nineteen. There's going to be a lot of messaging you're going to hear. Uh, we heard it from the Pope last week when he he equated uh, COVID nineteen. He said it was the 
it was the result of the Earth's uh, uh, response to our abuses of the Earth, which is basically paganism. Well, wow. you know, and it, and it's. It, I read. I mean, this is not Christian theology. This is paganism. What he was talking about, basically, an Earth Mother that's responding to to its, the abuses of the Earth that we're doing, and and it, it's just these, these people have to be. They're going to be. It's going to be. It, there's going to be an onslaught of of linkage of everything and anything that's unusual in terms of weather. Uh, to to climate change because they they want to they want to equate that to to the COVID nineteen and, and the horrors that we've had and I'm, I'm not sure they're horrors but uh, yeah we we can talk about whether whether this is you know we're going to look back in hindsight to find out what how better or worse or horrific this COVID nineteen is as compared to other flus, um, I, 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 don't, I think it's too early to, to, to assess that right now. It looks, I, I'm, again, I'm very concerned about it, and I'm doing things to alleviate, but, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're going to know more in a, in a few weeks or a few months, and, and we'll be able to assess at that time. But, but the, the big thing here is this, this, this co-equivalence between climate change threats uh, and COVID nineteen, and it's going to be you're going to hear a lot about that. We're going to have to uh, bring this conversation home because we're almost out of time. So let's let's kind of put it in a nutshell here. If in fact there was a reduction, if if there was a, a global reduction or maybe just an American reduction in CO two emissions, how much of a difference would that make to the temperature that uh, in, in the temperature trends? Okay. Well, if, if if the United States, according to the Magic Simulator, I've got that on my website too. If we reduced 100% of our emissions, uh, we would see we would avert four hundredths of a degree Celsius by the year 2050. If we eliminated 100 percent of, of our CO2 emissions, 100 percent. So we got rid of it all. Yeah. Uh, we we would see what difference now. Four hundredths of a degree. <laughs> Four hundredths of a degree. Wow. So if you look at, and, and I brought that up at my, oh, I had a debate with a, a Penn State professor, Dr. James Casting. I brought that up at the end of our argument. And he said, well, well, yeah, that's true, but he admitted it was true, but but uh, we all have to work together uh, oh, to, uh, you know, the China and India and all. We all have, well, do you think China and India are going to draw back on their CO2 emissions Not voluntarily? Heck chance. no. There's no way. And 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 so, yeah, there's there, there's no way they're going to do that. Uh-uh. Wow. Um, the book is available where, Greg? Yeah, I, it's easiest to go to uh, Amazon. Most people buy it through Amazon. It's Inconvenient Facts. Uh, it's, I wrote this for non-scientists. I wrote this as I wanted a book. It's fully illustrated, color color uh, 90 plus uh, color, high quality diagrams and figures in it. Uh, and you know, I, I gave a talk at, in West Virginia at the Romney Tea Party, Romney, West Virginia. A fellow setting up my 
my uh, for for me. He says he was setting stuff up ready for my talk. He said, "Mr. Wrightstone." He said, and he had his he had his sleeves cut off. It looked like he came right out from under a truck. And, and he says, "Mr. Wrightstone." He says, "I just loved your book." And he said, "It's the first book I've read since high school." And I said, "Oh my God, I've been successful." That this guy, and he says, "I just loved it." And that's what I wanted. And it's not that it's dumbed down, but I wrote it for for the non scientists in an understandable way that they could grasp. So uh, uh, it makes a great gift. A good time. Good time to buy one with with everybody being holed up in in their homes. <laughs> for sure. Again, the book is titled Inconvenient Facts. The website is inconvenientfacts.xy. YZ author and our guest tonight, Gregory Wrightstone. Uh, we appreciate you being here, Greg. It was a fantastic and stimulating discussion. I'm going to put you on the short list. Love to have you come back again. Right, Roger that. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.